0: I'm Claire Edwards, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership, a series of conversations, insights, and inspirations with leaders who are real, raw, and authentic. I'm thrilled today to bring you the conversation I had with Ronnie Altit, CEO of Incentra. I met Ronnie when we recently spoke at the same conference, and I was immediately taken by his words and his message, which is why I'm so excited that he agreed to be in conversation with me as the heart-centred leader. Ronnie cares deeply and passionately not only about his team, but about all the stakeholders in his business. He's even trademarked the term partner-obsessed. As CEO and co-founder of Incentra, an IT-managed services company that was started by four blokes in a garage in Sydney, Ronnie now heads up a global industry leader, delivering services through a partner network. But it's not the global growth strategies that I want to talk to Ronnie about. It's his heart-centred leadership philosophy. Oh, and the story of the train. And in the spirit of authenticity, you'll notice that I don't welcome Ronnie to the podcast. And that's because I forgot to read out the full intro whilst he was with me online. Enjoy. Ronnie, I, I've been doing a little snooping about Incentra. And um, I went on to Glassdoor, and for those who are unfamiliar with Glassdoor, <laughs> It's a platform where current and past employees can rate their work experience. And I have to admit, I was absolutely gobsmacked by the reviews, both existing and past employees. Five star after five star after five star. I think the, the lowest was 4.6 or something like that. So listen, in the words of a famous Australian politician, please explain.
1: <laughs> well, Claire, you know, I think I think when you run an organisation and you have the ability to start a culture from zero, it, it, it gives you a little bit of additional capability, right? But, um, but the, I think the main reason why you see reviews like that is we, we very consciously, and, and it starts from me, consciously create a culture. Yeah. And we, we try to make that culture uh, somewhere where people actually love to work, you know, so that they can just do what they love in the company of people who love what they do.
0: So... It, just just thinking about that. Sure, I mean that it's not rocket science, Ronnie, and there are many organizations out there who are startups who are creating a culture from get-go, yet they're not, you know, they're not arriving at that uh place where people jump out of bed to come to work. So what what is it about the makeup, the DNA, the ingredients of your culture? that you've created that gets those people so proud of working for Incentra?
1: Well, I don't think there's any one thing. It's interesting you say it's not rocket science. It may not be rocket science, but it's certainly a little bit like painting a Rembrandt. You know, there's an art to creating a culture. I think there's a lot of science around what should and shouldn't happen and how you should and shouldn't do things and, and what's great and what's not great. Um, but the art is where it comes in. And, and a lot of it comes down to authenticity. Uh, so when you, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, we're going to create this amazing culture, or we have this amazing culture, or we want this amazing culture. But they don't want it for the right reasons. They don't want it because in their heart, they actually really care about people. They care about the experience people have. And, and I talk about the experience before joining while at Incentra and after at Incentra. Yeah. Because it's not just the time that they're with us. And it's also, you know, after they leave is really just as critical. We like to think of them as part of the family. Other organisations may say alumni. Um, for us, it's family. Mm. Um, and, and I've been on a mission. Um, in fact, in, in all teams, you know, regardless of having the, had the ability to consciously create the culture of Incentra from zero, I've had teams where I've been in larger organisations and I've had you know, the ability to create a microculture, if you like, within a bigger organisation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, yeah, to come back to the art, you know, it, it, it starts at the top, right? It has to start with me. Um, and I, when, when I, whenever I've managed teams or, or tried to create team, team environments, the thing for me is that, you know, it's not just my responsibility. <laughs> it's it's yeah. the responsibility of each and every person in the organisation. To maintain a culture, I can set the standards, I can set what it is that we want to do, I can identify how we're going to do that, but ultimately it does come down to everybody in the business all working towards the same goal and understanding you know, a clear definition of what is the culture, what actually does it do, and that's why I you know, delivered the train story to every single person who started in the business.
0: Ah, the train story. I'm glad, I'm glad you've mentioned that. My goodness, I, uh, I I've read through the train story and to me it's like a it's a manifesto. And and you're talking about, you know, before people before people join, when they join and, and after they leave, and it's taking me to um the the massive gallop poll that that was done over you know 80,000 employees sorry 80,000 managers 250,000 employees over 25 years and the number one question that if you know if organizations could say I strongly agree to was I know what's expected of me at work and for someone who's thinking of joining in Centra to read that trade story they know exactly what Required of them. So, can you just share for our listeners? I, I want to know how the train story came about, how you've built it, how you've embedded it, because I think it's, my friends, bloody brilliant.
1: <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, thank you. The the train story is not something new. It's been around with me for 20 some years. It's evolved. Um, that's for sure. Um, but the, the, the reason why I, I started with the train story was I think everybody works well in, in the world of metaphors or analogies. Um, when people yeah. can can visualize something, it, it, it makes it a lot easier. So, um, you know, and there's, there's been buses, there's been lots of different things. But the reason why the train became um, really profound to me is, because of the and, and it is a steam train, right? When we talk about the Incentra as being a steam train, which is really quite ironic because we are in technology <laughs> and here we are talking about a steam train. Um, the, the the idea behind that is, you know, everybody's shoveling coal. We're mm-hmm. all on the same we're all on the same train and we all might have our own carriages, which is the different teams that exist within an organization are or all their individual carriages. Yet for the train to go, everyone has to shovel coal. We all have to be making sure that everything works beautifully on the train. So that's kind of where it came from, was what type of analogy could I have that everyone would be able to relate to because yeah. they've all been on one or seen one, um, even the younger kids in the, in the audience, you know, even the latest generation, they've all done some type of steam train. I think Thomas the Tank Engine was the steam train himself, right? So <laughs> I was going to ask you
0: about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so everyone kind of understands the concept of the steam train. And and then it evolved. Um, and and it evolved from the perspective of, you know, particularly when, when I started in Central with my co-founders, we really sat down and said, okay, well, what are the things we love about places we've worked? Well, let's make sure we do those. yeah What are the things we hated about places we worked? Well, let's make sure we don't do that. And for all the stuff that we just didn't know, well, you know what, we kind of wing it and we work it out. And then if something comes up, we bring it into the train story so that we now know exactly what's going to happen. And I think your point is absolutely accurate. Nobody joins our business without a couple of things happening. Firstly, reading the train story. Secondly, having an interview with me and the interview with me, by the time they've got to me, you know, I, I've, I make the assumption that they've got the technical capability, they've been through all of the the necessary tech interviews and and, you know capability interviews. For me I'm looking for cultural fit. Um, And the idea of having everybody read the train story before they even start interviewing within Sentra is then they know what it is because it's also not for everyone. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, like the the culture that we have doesn't necessarily suit every person. And so a lot of what we've we've done with the train story is to make it very clear as to how we do things. And also what's in the art of the acceptable and what is in the art of the unacceptable. So it's very, very clear up front. And, you know, I think when you when you know what you're going into, then you have a degree of safety. And that's mm. the other reason why people leave workplaces. Yeah. And to that end, by the way, I, I loathe the term employee. I think yeah. employer-employee creates a master-servant relationship.
0: Absolutely. And it's not
1: like that. You know, it think, isn't like that. Yeah.
0: I think there's only only one thing worse than that, and it's subordinate. (laughs) Oh, no, well, that's...
1: Welcome to the army, have a nice day. It's another
0: another dirty bird. Can I just... (laughs) I just want to pick up on something, Ronnie, because you you talk about the cultural fit. So how do you balance uh, making sure that somebody is a good cultural fit with ensuring diversity you know so you don't end up with that group thing
1: um well the culture you know the cultural fit and diversity i don't think are necessarily related and Mm -hmm. for me diversity is about diversity in thought
0: yeah
1: um and and that's what's really important but you know when you look at a corporate culture a corporate culture is really how do people work within an organization together so You know, they can have absolutely diverse thoughts and diverse approaches to what they do and the way they think. But in terms of how do they work within an environment, well, to be honest with you, I don't want diversity where it includes somebody who is political. Yeah. That's not a level of diversity I want. I don't want diversity for someone who doesn't come to work with a passion for what they do, Mm -hmm. who doesn't want to be honest, who doesn't operate with integrity. So there are some very simple things where it's like, you know what, there are some parts of diversity I just won't allow into the business. That doesn't mean, however, that I'm not going to get a bunch of diverse people. In fact, the more diverse as far as I'm concerned, the better, because that's where we get different ideas and different opinions. Yeah. And Indeed, the train story, whilst it's there as it is, as I said to you, it evolves. So if there's something that we find, you know what, I'll add it into the train story. Mm -hmm. If You know, the hardest part we've found, however, is we can tell people through the train story what we do. The hard part, however, is firstly having them accept that it's not too good to be true mm-hmm. and then how to operate within that environment. So let me give you an example. Yeah. One, of the, one of the things that, that really is incredibly powerful but not necessarily so easy to implement is the simple concept of starting meetings with how are you one to 10 personally and one to 10 as it relates to work Mm -hmm. so we can we can tell people hey this is what we do and if you're a seven or less there's always going to be a team around you that's going to be curious as to you know how they can help you if it's personal you don't need to share why um we just like to understand that you've got something going on personally and you know if things aren't great at work for a particular reason we want to know now when people come in it takes them a while to recognize that it's actually okay to say that at work they're a six. You know, mm-hmm. they're having a bad time. They're having a rough time. You know, if I tell people it's a six, they're going to think I'm unhappy. They're going to think I'm not doing my job or, and well, actually, no, it's not what it's about. But that takes time for people to, to realize that that's not the case. So I kind of talk in our monthly all hands, I remind people about the newbies, you know, as the company grows and we get the newbies in. You know anybody who's new into the organisation. I remind people: remember what you were like when you started. You came in and you said, "All of this stuff is too good to be true." I'm going to watch and wait and see when something doesn't happen, so that I can go, "Yes, yeah, see, it's not true." <laughs> and you know, and and the reality is, as you grow an organisation, you know, we're now sort of 90 plus people globally, um, and we are consistent globally in our culture, by the way, which is another interesting item. Um, but when you grow a business and you do so rapidly, it's really important to ensure that people are continually reminded of the things that we do and also creating an environment where someone new feels safe to come and say, hey, you know what? You said that you do this, but I've just had this scenario happen and I didn't see us living the train story and values. Oh, really? Chances are yeah. the person actually made a mistake and just didn't do it right rather than a systemic issue, but holy hammer, let's get on top of this first because we don't want it to become systemic and we need to go back and educate the individual who may not have done it in accordance with the way we do it. That's
0: such such an important point, Ronnie. I know um, a lot of the organisations that I work with, that that whole area around psychological safety is such a sticking point. It's such a blocker for... It's a blocker for innovation, for creativity, for uh, conflict resolution. So, you know, I'm just, I suppose, in admiration of that, of, of that focus on creating that, that safe environment for people to bring their whole selves to work and, and share. And I love, again, your analogy of, of the one to ten. Yeah, I, I, I just, I just really, really like that. Thank you. Uh, well, Look, it's not you... mine.
1: I'll be fair. It's not mine. I picked that up from um, the wonderful Sharon Edwards, who's a, uh, um, a a lady who I did some work with, and it was mm-hmm. something she she used to do at the start of meetings. And I thought, wow! As soon as I had that first meeting, and they did that, I'm like, I'm bringing that into the company. So <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't take full credit for it. You know, I think in terms of that safety, the psychological safety. You know, we refer to that as no fear of retribution. Yeah. You know, but however, that's also difficult to put to, to implement. So I can say to people, hey, you know what, come and tell me something that's going on and don't fear that it's going to cause a problem for your job, you know, a problem for your safety in the office, etc." Oh, really, am I going to go tell the CEO that I'm not happy about something? Oh, I'm not so sure, I wonder what's going to happen. So again, the what is, hey, come and tell us stuff with no fear of retribution. Getting people to that point takes time. Takes ha- time and how for them do you, to feel. How
0: do you grow that? How do you get them to that point?
1: Authenticity, consistency,
0: mm.
1: having an EQ that identifies so you can, you know, sometimes I just walk into work and I look at somebody and I think,
0: yeah, they don't look so
1: happy today. Yeah. I might just take a couple of minutes and have a chat with them and see what's going on. Um, or alternatively, you know, everybody finds somebody at work that they're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea of a buddy is interesting, but ultimately, people find their own buddies. It's what they do. So, you know, it's working with people and saying, hey, you don't have to escalate it to management. And escalation is a horrible word, right? We don't, you know, I don't like the word escalate (laughs) because it indicates that something's getting worse.
0: I hadn't thought about that. That's so true.
1: Yeah, like, let me escalate that. Well, okay, now is my manager going to think I'm in trouble? Am I going to be in trouble with my manager because I'm going above their head? Am I going to get in trouble? You know, and it's like, well, all of my leaders in the business actually will encourage people that if they're not happy with what they hear, please take it to the next level of management. That's not an escalation. That's a, let's go see what they say. You know, if you're passionate about something, and I say to people, until I've made a decision, as in you know, the CEO of business has made a decision, the decision doesn't have to be final. If you feel passionate enough about something, well, bring it to me and let's talk about it yeah. and let's understand what it is. You may get the outcome you look for or you may not, but at least you know you've gone as far as you can go.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, going back to that, um, back to that huge Gallup poll, one of the questions was that I have someone at work who cares for me and, when we, you know, we, we, we both spoke at the same conference and we both used the L word and it wasn't leadership, but rather love. And love Absolutely. in the sense of that that tribal connection. Um, so, you know, as someone who so deeply and passionately cares for their people and is happy to share that they love their people, what, what do you think is holding leaders back from bringing more of that, that focus on love and and growing that connection and care in their businesses
1: oh i think there's many things and you know many many different things can impact that i think one of the things that that's super impactful is the organization that cares about the bottom line first and the people second Mm. um oh if i don't hit numbers i'm not going to have a job so you know just get up and get on with your job or you stop making noise there's that kind of scenario there's also the scenario where people don't know how to show love you know they think love is is almost a you know a word that's that um or an emotion that is reserved for their deepest relationships that they have or their pets or you know and I say to people all the time I'm like you know, what's your favorite food oh I love this oh okay so you have a love for something and in fact that's even an inanimate thing really <laughs> Um, so it's that kind of feeling of love that we try to evoke you know because when you're when you're in that situation where you feel like you you love something right so i love people i love growing people i love developing Mm. people it's a passion of mine you know for me you know my legacy if you like everyone talks about their legacy when i die i i just want a couple of things to happen A, I want people to want to come to my funeral. And I don't mean to be really down here, right, but I want people to come to my funeral, not feel like they have to turn up at my funeral. Mm -hmm. And then I want the dialogue to be, wow, you know, that guy made such a difference to my life. Mm. And that's, you know, it's coming from that perspective. And I think a lot of people turn up to work and they do a job. Yeah. I'm going to work to do my job. And then on leaving. You know, I tell people, if you want a job, don't work at Incentra. We're not the place for you. Yeah. You know, if you want a career and you want to work with a bunch of really passionate individuals who are all doing the same, you know, all heading in the same direction, all on the same train, all helping us move where we need to go, then you'll have a ball at Incentra. But if you want to come and do a job and don't get involved, and, you know, when I say get involved, it's not like we have all these massive social events, et cetera, that you have to go to. It's like, mm-hmm. be a part. Yeah, apart. bring bring your authentic self into the business and feel comfortable to do so. You know, and, and I think it's taking from the Atlassian concept of no brilliant jerks, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, like just just be a good person.
0: And and I th- you know it's interesting in when I was reading the train story and we talk about the heart centered leader and we talk about care and love. Um, the, but it, it also includes boundaries, and that's what I love about when you're saying you know. These are our values. This is the way that we work. And if you want to be political and if you want to say it's not my job, then I'm going to throw you off the train and not even wait, not even wait for a platform. I loved that. But again, and you know, it's about people knowing where they stand.
1: Interesting, you should raise that. I've had for the first time in many years of people looking at the train story, I had some interesting constructive feedback just this week. Okay. Um, where, where somebody wrote me a mail and said, Hey, are you interested in getting some feedback? I'm like, Absolutely, please do. And, and you know, the more constructive, the better. And this particular person had zero idea of who I was. And the feedback that, that was provided to me was, you know, when I started reading the train story, I was like, I would never want to have a boss like Ronnie. And I then went away and watched some of your videos, Ronnie, and, and sort of saw how, you know, the passion and your, you know, the way the way that you approach things. And then I came back and thought, wow, I only want a boss like Ronnie. So the interesting thing about that, right, is it does, the train story does polarise. Um, and I, my belief on that as well is if people want to be a part of an organisation, then they will go and do some more research and identify. But, you know, there are some things in there which is, again we talk about diversity I don't want people who struggle with boundaries
0: Mm. because
1: those types of individuals will generally struggle with accountability
0: Mm
1: -hmm. so it's like hey and we've had it since we were children Your parents set boundaries, right? They teach you to make good and bad decisions and they set a boundary. That's not okay. You don't just get up and run across the road. You don't take something without saying thank you. You know, it's boundaries that we all have. And and boundaries create certainty and certainty creates safety. Yeah. So if everyone knows that at Incentra, as soon as you lie, you're out, Hmm. then everybody knows that anybody else in the business, they can trust they can work with and trust. So it's just interesting, you know, that feedback is sort of, it, you know, came in this week and, I, and I'm, I, I'm thinking it through and trying to see, you know, what do I do with that feedback as it relates to the train story. But for me, the the, the, the reason why, the, so the train story that you read online is me having said it to somebody.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: that's me talking at somebody for 20 minutes, recording it and having it transcribed.
0: Okay. So it's
1: authentically me.
0: Yeah.
1: It's, you know, it's not crafted, it's authentically me and how I mm-hmm. deliver that. Um, so, yeah, it, it's interesting that you say you love that. There is somebody out there who says, well, I don't know.
0: <laughs> and, and that's a really important point, you know, and you're looking at um, organisation-wide communication, that when it's in the written form, we, we listen, we read that story in our voice, not in your voice. And exactly. so it, that in isolation, without going to the videos, was a certain interpretation of the message. So, you know, how do you, uh, particularly as, as Incentra grows, how do you maintain an authentic communication and make sure that the intention and the impact are aligned?
1: Great question. So as I say, it starts from me meeting with people to start with. So they get an immediate insight into Ronnie when they get to meet with me. And then once they're a part of the business, I, I will try at random times every week to select two or three different people, give them a call if they hang with feeling? You know, I think, who doesn't like getting a call from the CEO after their heart starts beating properly again?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna say, if they, see, if they see that it's you, they're going, oh shit, what have I done now? <laughs>
1: Yeah, the funniest one is when I ring some people and they go, oh, my, I really should have saved your number in my phone. I'm like, I don't know like about it, you know. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. You're not expecting me to ring you, so it's fine. Um, and I like it when that happens because, it's, you know, again, it's like, you know what, I'm human too. So I will do that when I'm, you know, when I'm in the office, I'll, I'll spend some time just popping over to people and saying hello. Then I have my weekly, my monthly, um, in fact, let's start with weekly, In my weekly executive call with my exec team, um, there's a standing agenda item in that exec call which is anything going on with the crew, Mm -hmm. um, positive or negative. So what do we all need to know about as a team of execs about an individual in the business and where they're at in their life and what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, So my whole exec team gets across different people and then based on the outcome of that, that typically drives who I'll talk to that week. So it might be, oh, you know, this person's going through a really rough time. They've got some issues going on personally or they've got a medical problem or a family issue. I'll, I will take the time and give them a call, not because I want to tick a box, because I actually care about them. Yeah. Hey, you know, what's going on? I'm hearing this. I hope you're okay. If you need anything from us or the business, let us know. And then there's the other ones, which is, you know, such and such did a great job. And we have that as the shout-out, right? Every week there's two, three, four shout-outs that you know go out in the email to the to the whole crew sort of saying hey let's call out this person and let mm. them, let's you know sort of talk to them and then i have the all hands meeting once a month um, and in the all hands meeting i do obviously a big full company update what's going on where are things at we have awards that we do within the all hands meeting that are actually all nominations from within the crew Great. Um, and in that in that all hands session i will pick one section of the train story Or I'll choose one value and I will unpack that with people. And if something has happened over the previous month, I'll use an example of, hey, this is what happened as it relates to this. So let me explain to you all how it works. And if people keep hearing that regularly and there's continual reinforcement of what we do, then it starts to become part of their own way of doing things. And I say culture starts at the top with me. Mm -hmm. It Percolates from the bottom and it permeates within. So, i.e., every single person in our organization is responsible for maintaining our culture. Yeah. If something changes in our culture and someone comes to me and says, Ronnie, you know, the culture's really changed, I will first thing I'll do is ask them to take their phone out, put it on selfie mode, have a good long look, and say, What did you do to stop this? <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, in the words of General David Morrison, The standard you walk past is the standard you accept. So you are all empowered and all able to manage and maintain our culture. So there's the, we don't do it that way here. Let me explain to you why.
0: Mm.
1: No, that wouldn't happen here. Please don't feel like that would take place. Or alternatively, I thought we didn't do it that way. Why is it happening that way? Mm. Make sure that you let people know. Don't sit there and just watch it happen because then it will then it will start to become the new normal
0: yeah and and i think you know that that's an absolute critical element that your values are not something that's just stuck on a wall or above the door or what have you but that you continually reinforcing the story of who you are and and why you do what you do and what your your norms and values are and i I wanted to ask you a question because you've got You've got I mean how many countries are you in now, Ronnie? Uh,
1: we have people physically in five countries.
0: In five countries. So with people working virtually, you know, again, I've had experience of organizations where it's the um, the dropout rate of people in the virtual offices is quite high because they just don't feel part of the tribe. So how mm-hmm. do you how do you manage that? How do you manage to keep those people? connected and part
1: of the family? Um, look, in multiple ways. Obviously, technology really makes that a lot better now with you know, scenarios like teams, etc. So our, mm-hmm. our international teams, a lot of whom do work at home, we only have one physical office being our, our Sydney office. Those who work at home are always on video calls with their colleagues. So if there's a call, try and make it a video call if you can.
0: Yeah.
1: There's regular meetings that happen, um, you know, team meetings. In fact, our US and UK teams get together and have virtual beers once a week. Um, <laughs> where they sort of
0: <laughs> sit around, pack a
1: beer open and have a chat with each other. And then, you know, for those offices where we don't have people, we try to make sure that um, we bring them together at least once a year. And so, for example, in January, I have the UK and the US teams all coalescing in New Orleans, and we'll do an offsite in New Orleans. Um, and it'll be the same offsite that we'll do for our Australian crew. So that, you know, if the reality is if I'm not paying rent, I'd rather take the money I was paying on rent and, and use it on the people you know, I, to have them come together.
0: I, I, I just want to stop you there. Can, can you repeat that? Because that, that is such an important message.
1: Yeah, I'm not paying rent. If I was paying rent, then I would have to waste that money. But if they're all working at home, I could take the money that I would otherwise spend on rent and I can use at least some of that to bring everybody together and do team events. So in in the UK, for example, our team in the UK gets together physically at least once a quarter, at least. And when I say, you know, the UK, that that, that includes Scotland, right? So we've got people who live a few hours out of London, uh, but at minimum, they all get together and they all spend an afternoon and an evening together, have a meal and they all go back and do what they do, but they just maintain that physical connection. Mm. Um, And yeah, and when they when they join the organisation, once they hop on the train, they know they're going to be working from home. And we, you know, we sort of say to them, hey, if you ever feel lonely, if you ever feel like you're out, just let us know. You can always come back, and you can always fly into somewhere if you're in the US. You can go and see yeah. people. So that that's kind of how we do it. There's, there's no there's no secret sauce to that, right? Mm. That, that there is definitely having it front of mind. I think is really important.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And we are a global team. That's the other thing. You know, we we operate truly globally. The culture, I can tell you very confidently, is identical in the US and the UK. Both of my leaders in each of those locations are equally passionate about culture. Mm -hmm. They're equally passionate about the way we do things. um, And they're very, very happy to drive that through their organization locally. And again, everybody hears it at least monthly from me.
0: Oh, that's so important. You know, often I'll ask a question uh, if I'm running a workshop and I'll say, "Okay, if I took each of you out individually and took you to the pub and bought you a drink and said, tell me, what's it like to work at Company X? What sort of responses would I get? And so often... It's a, it's a different story, it's a different description, it's a different, you know, and so to hear that, that you, you know, a, a achieve that, um, that unified culture that you, I mean, and, and I think microcultures are fine so long as they still support the values, but to have that, you know, that essence of, of culture globally, um, I think is absolutely fantastic. And I, I, I want to go in a little bit deeper if you don't mind, maybe uh, ask, ask for some courageous vulnerability, because you mentioned earlier on about, you know, you got together with your co-founders and you said, okay, what was it that we loved that we want to keep? And what was it that we didn't like about where we worked that we don't want to keep? But I, I want to know about Ronnie and, you know, what was, how else maybe in your life have you been influenced to be so passionate and caring about people. Oh, or, or, or look, were well, you just born? loving?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you made me think of a time with my, uh, my eldest son. He's now 21, and when I first took him to karate, and he was in a karate competition, and after his first karate competition, his then came to me and said, you know what? This kid's built for loving, not for fighting. So, oh. <laughs> I think. I think he might have got some of that from me and some of it from his mum too. So yeah, look, I, I am a lover, not a fighter. You know, and I mean that in a physical sense. I'm certainly, you know, I'm, I'm out there, I'm competitive. And at the end of the day, I'm an entrepreneur, right? So I'm, I'm dynamic and I like to do lots of different things and will push the boundaries as much as I can to try, to think, you know, to try getting things out of the norm. Um, but I think a lot of it also came down, I, I did have a great childhood. I did have, you know, I was raised in a really loving environment. But a lot of it came down to having worked for some real, and I'm going to use the word assholes, mm. um, and, you know, and having worked for some real gems of individuals. And the different emotion that working for different types of people evoked in me was the emotion I wanted to evoke in everybody who ever had worked together with me or quote unquote for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like the working for somebody, right? Yeah, but, you know, yeah. to people who to people whom I have the the opportunity to lead and grow and develop, I wanted them to walk away, and I want them to walk away with a feeling of um, that they matter, you know, and that they're enough, and that where they have areas for development, they're exactly that. They're not areas. They're not areas of failure. They're areas of development. They're areas of opportunity. I think you know. The, the, the sort of growth mindset is something I'm enormously passionate about. I'm consistently, the glass is half full. Mm. No matter how bad it is, there's always an answer. There's always an outcome. It's just a question of whether you want to execute on that answer or not. But there's always going to be a different way. There's always an opportunity for something to be worse.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, other than other than you're about to die. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> probably doesn't get worse than that. But outside of that, anything else is achievable. So you know where it comes from for me is is having had some some great experiences in my life and also having had some experiences that haven't been so wonderful mm. and you know if if i can minimize the not so wonderful for people well isn't that a great outcome
0: absolutely and and as i'm listening to you i'm thinking that you know there might be there might be people who who join Incentra um and and i i find it a lot in the tech industry that this feeling that I have to be the best I have to perform you know uh, consistently at the top rather than how can I be the best version of myself (laughs) so I suspect that there may be people who come and join you from a a work-based perspective but this whole growth mindset and, and care and love ripples out into their personal life as well
1: yeah, I'll give you an example there. Literally, again, in the past week, um, we had somebody who's relatively new in our organisation and, and I offer to everyone the opportunity to come and spend time with Ronnie as and when they want to, right? First line of the train story or first part of the train story talks to the fact that it's really lonely up the front. And I, you know, I'm never too busy to spend time with my people. Um, you know our people are everything Mm. so I I mentioned it to to one of the individuals in our business that they were interviewing that hey you know once you get in and if you if you want to grow and you want to develop and you feel like there's something I can do to help you I'm very happy to do some coaching with you one-on-one and after a little while of being in the business probably about three months this particular individual came to me and said hey you did mention this to me in the interview I'd love to take you up on the offer I said sure so we got together and um, it was only this week in fact or actually late last week mm-hmm. and discussion started and I said well so how do we do this Ronnie? do you have a framework that you're going to take me through or how do you how do you, how would you like to approach this coaching and I said well to be honest with you no I don't have a framework um, I have lots of different different things in my kit bag that I can reach for and I can take you on a journey however you've asked me to coach you because there's something you want to be coached on mm. and." You've come to me because you feel there are areas where you can develop. So the more we talk, the more those are going to come out. Anyway, and I said, so let's start with this. How do you want to be seen? Like in your view, how do you, you know, what, what do you want people to do? I have to be excellent. I just want excellence. Mm. And I said, okay, so talk to me more about being excellent. What does being excellent mean? And we've had a big chat about that. And I said, so do you think you'll ever be excellent? And that really stopped them in their tracks. Mm -hmm. And they said, actually, no, I don't think I'll ever be excellent. I said, okay, but do you think that you can continue to strive for excellence? Yeah, yeah, I can. Just changing those words made a really big difference there, Ronnie, I'm like, you know what? Who defines excellent anyway? Who defines being the best? You need to be the best you can be and what we can do is work to how do we make you the best version of yourself. And, in fact, that's part of our vision statement is helping people to be the best versions of themselves. Yeah. And, I, you know, it was a great opportunity for me to bring this individual back to that part of our vision statement and, and talk about the why. And so to that end, it's like, yeah, we do get a bunch of people in tech who have to be the best. That's what, you know. And people are raised to be the best. We're raised in a competitive environment, right? Mm. If you don't get the top mark, you're not going to get into medicine. If you don't get the top this, if you don't get the top that. And there's an element of that, that that's valid and makes sense, you know, and, and it is a way to, to look at different people's abilities and all sorts of stuff around that. <laughs> but um yeah. the, the the real thing is well, how do you strive for excellence? And that's sort of what we try to do with, with individuals is you don't have to be the best. You have to be the best you can be, and you have to be the best version of yourself.
0: Oh, and that's so important because you're you're um I, I'm trying to think of the 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 right terminology but to be excellent is a static thing but to strive for excellent is a journey it's a trajectory it's a it's a, it's a movement of progress interesting because than- that was
1: one of the things I said I said so once you're excellent how do you get better from there
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like what happened before the big bang <laughs> yeah what do you do next okay
1: <laughs> yeah somebody somewhere has defined and said oh my god you're excellent you go cool I'm done
0: yeah Yeah.
1: (laughs) Nobody would invent anything wonderful if they felt that they were excellent at the time. There'd be no improvement. There'd be no innovation. But, yeah, that's excellent. You know, we have a light globe. Yeah, that was excellent. Now we have LED light globes. Okay, we've got a new level of excellence.
0: Yeah. Wow. And slightly left field, but talking about um, innovation, creativity, is there a correlation between... The, the caring heart-centered culture that you have and people being more innovative and creative. And if there is, what, what is the causality of that or the correlation?
1: So I haven't necessarily looked at it from that standpoint. I think innovation is innovation is a difficult thing to get going in any organization. Mm-hmm. Um you know we we have set up an innovation board where we encourage people to bring ideas and to have their ideas brought to the forum. Uh, you need to have an environment where people are comfortable to come up with the wacky, zany ideas too. But critically that's as psychological well. Psychological safety. Enough. Exactly. But also critically, you need to have the right approach when people's ideas don't get up. You know, so that, that's the struggle that you have, I think, with innovation in an organisation, is getting the culture right firstly around it's okay to fail And and it's not even failure, it's just not to achieve the outcome you initially set out to achieve. That doesn't mean you failed, it just means you didn't do that. So having that culture is important. So I think, yes, there is definitely a correlation between an environment of safety and an environment, um, you know, culturally that allows for that. But I think more importantly, it needs to be a culture where people feel dynamic. Because innovation doesn't happen in a stagnant place. Mm. You know, you need to have an organisation that is behaving in a dynamic fashion, that does shift and change and move and does do things differently um, on a regular basis for people who feel comfortable and say, wow, I wonder if we could do this. You know, the power of the if. Yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah. yeah, yeah we, we are wonder. innovative. I think we can be more innovative as an organisation and it's... Um, you know, as well, when you're busy and you're growing and you, you know, it's like, okay, how do we take the time out and actually carve time out for people to go and be innovative? Yeah. And, you know, if I take you and I say, okay, Claire, go and sit in the room for the next four hours and innovate something, well, okay, what am I doing? It's hard, right? Yeah.
0: Uh, my, hard. my innovation my innovation comes at four o'clock in the morning or when I'm in the shower or when I'm going for a jog or, you know, it, it yeah. rarely, rarely it comes in a workspace.
1: Exactly. So we encourage that too. And we also encourage people, you know, we, we incentivize people too. So you come up with something and we go do it, then we're going to pay you a part of whatever we receive for that.
0: Right.
1: So yeah, there's a return the on the innovation credit. too for them. Absolutely.
0: I mean, what a, you know, in, in your experience of, of, of growing this culture, what a, if, for people who are listening from this and thinking, you know, gosh, that's, it goes back to something you said earlier, you know, I really, I really do want this culture. Um, but then deep down, when we go underneath the waterline of the iceberg, it's, you know, what are the drivers? What are some of the key messages that you could share um, for people who, who do genuinely want that, that heart-centered culture, but are struggling where to begin? What are some of the messages, Ronnie?
1: Um, I would say decide what you want that to look like. Firstly, you know, what I want a great culture. Cool, define it for me. Yeah. You need to have a consciously created culture, not just, a, oh, we want to create a really great place to work and we want to make it fun. And okay, well, how are you going to do that? So I think yeah. it starts with, you know, it's really why, what, how, what if? Right? Why do you want to do this? What do you want to do? How are you actually going to go and do that? And what happens if it doesn't work? What are you going to do? What are the things that are around that? So I would definitely be saying to people, start from that perspective. Don't bother trying to create a great culture. If you're going to do it to tick a box, then you're going to do it. You know, if if you truly don't believe what Richard Branson says, which is look after your people, the people will look after your clients and therefore your bottom line, then don't even bother. Yeah. Don't even bother. You have to be of the opinion. And I tell our clients, you're not my number one priority. And their faces drop. It's really the most hysterical thing. <laughs> so you're, at, you're not my number one priority until one of the people in our crew who are my number one priority tell me I need to make you my number one priority. And then I will make you a priority over them. But otherwise, my crew are the priority. And if I get that right, you probably won't ever need to come to me as to be a priority because my crew will do it the right way. Yeah. And I want a crew of people who go out. We're in a services game. Right. I want people who go out and when they do get called by Claire down to the pub after having done a day's work and have a drink and they say, Oh, what's it like? I want them to consciously and, and comfortably say, I love where I work. Yeah. I love what I do, I love where I do it, and I love the people that I do it with. That's that's what I want as an outcome. So again, it's it's what's the outcome that people are looking for when they're, you know, looking to create a culture. And I think a lot of people struggle with the how do I deal with it when it doesn't go the way I want it to go,
0: mm-hmm.
1: when people don't do the things in the way I want to do it. And that becomes about consistency and authenticity. Yeah. So if you say to somebody there's no fear of retribution and then one person comes in and has absolute retribution for having done something, you know, that's really terrible, in my view, is if someone doesn't do something illegal, if they don't do something nasty, if they don't do something consciously to be a problem, then you know what? They probably didn't mean it. Mm. So if they didn't mean for this to be the outcome, well, let's work with them as to how it happened and then it and move on. But you've yeah. got to start from the perspective of people are actually largely good.
0: Mm.
1: And you also need to be a leader that says when there are people who aren't good and are bad eggs, well, then we're not going to have them here.
0: Yeah, yeah I've, seen, I've seen no too many teams... I've seen too many teams go toxic because they're tolerating one bad egg or, mo- or moving Absolutely. them around to different departments, which is beyond me, I don't
1: know. Who that. wants to tolerate people at work? I mean, yes, you're not gonna get along with everybody, but tolerate is a whole different level. Yeah. You know, Who yeah. wants to accept behaviours that just, just aren't okay? But if you don't, set, and this is why the train story is there, if you don't tell people what behaviours are okay and are not okay, well, then how do they know what's okay and what's not?
0: Exactly. So, okay, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Ronnie, before we go. Have you got an example of when you've stuffed up and you've had to fess up?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we do. We do. We had somebody in the organisation who was covering for someone on maternity leave. Mm -hmm. They didn't realise they were covering for someone on maternity leave for some reason and their manager knew that the maternity leave person was coming back and said to call them into a room and said, hey, listen, you know what? Thanks very much. We've been doing this maternity leave, but we don't have this um, role for you anymore and let them go that day. And I had no idea this was going on. Mm-hmm. And it came to my attention. I'm like, you did what? <laughs> you, you, you did what? You didn't have any conversations in the lead-up to this to say, hey, this is going to be happening. Hey, you know, this is what's going to happen in the future. You called someone into a room and said, right, thanks for coming. You must be kidding me. So I immediately got on the phone to that individual, got them straight back into the office and said, hey, you got another three months with us.
0: Wow.
1: I want you to stick around for the next three months. I am so very sorry. This is how it happened. It should never have happened this way. Someone made a really big mistake in doing this. We totally screwed up. I'm so very sorry. And then I actually told the company about what we did. Yeah. I told the whole company, said, hey, guys, this is what happened. We totally screwed up and this is what we've done to fix it. And the reason why I did that is, A, because I think it's important for everybody to know that we are human and we can make mistakes as well as leaders. B, so that any of the internal dialogue that took place would be framed in accordance with what actually happened rather than what it seems like happened. You know, yeah, it was just somebody who just, somebody just screwed up. It wasn't intentional, it wasn't nasty, it was just a screw up on the behalf of yeah. the leader. So yeah, you know, we do make mistakes. We, you know, we're not perfect, we're never gonna be perfect. It's mm. back to that excellence thing, right? But again, when these things happen, what you do in that scenario defines what it will look like. A lot of people have sort of gone, well, okay, shit, that happened, we shouldn't have done that, pardon my friends, you know, that shouldn't have happened, we, we shouldn't have done that. Ah, oh, well we went to that again. No, 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 no. Yeah. And actually, that goes yeah.
0: back to yeah, that goes back to one of your earlier quotes um, about the standard that you walk by is the standard that you set. That and, it and it didn't and it didn't hurt your pride to have to share that, did it? You know, I think that a lot of leaders are thinking oh you know gosh, I'm gonna be seen as vulnerable or weak or what have you. And in fact the, the opposite impact happens because you're showing your authenticity.
1: Well, and, and the interesting thing is I don't do it from that standpoint. I yeah. don't do it from the perspective of, oh, let me show people this. No, I did it because that's what my heart told me I should be doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's, I think, what's really important We talk about a heart centered leader. It's like, you know, the question that, you know, that, that my partner asked me is what would love do in this scenario? Mm. What mm. would love do?
0: Oh my goodness! You've um, I think I think you've just come full circle and uh, and completed this conversation (laughs) (laughs) absolutely beautifully. Oh, Ronnie, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Um, I love your messages. I you know uh, as soon as I met you and listened to you and and exactly what you're saying is you don't need to you know there it isn't a conscious effort to show authenticity. You just are authentic, you know. You, what you say and what you do, and and how you behave is all is all congruent. So um, I think your your team's very lucky to have you at the front of the train, and I hope oh. it's not too lonely a place. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Claire, you, you you flatter me. I'm I'm blessed to have a wonderful crew around me. Right, my my yeah. executive team is superb. You know, every, everyone in our business, I think, is just you know fantastic. They they wake up every day and they make. You know, all of us look good. We all do it every day. You know, wake up and make one another look great, um, and and try and deliver great outcomes. So you definitely flatter. It's not too lonely at the front. I do. You know, a lot of people do come and talk to me. Um, I sit in an open plan. In fact, I'm very happy at my desk, but I'm. You know, when I'm in the office, but I am in an open plan, and it is no doors. So you know, right. sometimes it gets Sometimes it does get lonely, but you know, I can I can deal with that, and I can I can alleviate my loneliness by making a phone call or by only yeah. say hi to someone.
0: So long as there's it's someone wonderful. who's caring for you too. <laughs> oh,
1: absolutely! I feel very loved.
0: <laughs> so, Ronnie, I'm gonna um, I'll put the, the link to the train story on the um, on on the notes. Are you happy for people to to contact you and um, connect with you on LinkedIn?
1: Oh, one hundred and fifty percent. Brilliant! You know, so,
0: I'll put that I'll put that link out there as well. Um, yeah, most definitely. Thank and you. any and all
1: feedback is welcome, you know. And if people yeah. want to have a chat, always say, never say no to a coffee. So if people want to have a chat, I'm very, always open to having a chat.
0: Excellent. Thank you so yeah, much, you. Ronnie. Go and well. No, thank you for the opportunity.
1: It's lovely to chat with you.
0: Yeah, it is. It's great. It's a great way to, uh, to start my Friday.
1: <laughs> well, you enjoy Friday and the weekend.
0: <laughs> Cheers. Go well now. Cheers, Claire. Bye-bye. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Testing, testing, one, two, three. Testing, testing, one, two, three.